This is episode two of It Came From New Jersey podcast, the podcast where we discuss albums from bands that came from the great state of New Jersey. Um, The goal here, just kind of rediscover old favorites, dig into some new music ourselves, um, and hopefully do the same thing for all of you listening. So my name is Pete. And my name is Bob. What's going on, Bob? Not much, buddy. Good, uh, Good to talk to you. Uh, feeling feeling good. Uh, this week's record is a good one. It's one I remembered, and you know I really liked what you said there. Rediscovering uh, old favorites. It's it's sort of this funny thing that you can do at any time, and it feels good. But wow, you know, like, have you ever had that experience where you have an old, like, you have clothes and you throw them in a box and like. They go away. Maybe they're at your parents' house. Maybe they're in your attic, your basement, whatever. You pull it out and you go, oh, whoa, this is one of my favorite shirts. And you put it on and you're like, I remember this shirt. But then it's also like it's been 10 years that you haven't put that shirt on. It's been 10 years since that shirt's been on you, you know? Right. Um, and that's sort of a fun feeling with certain records that you hit, you know? And I, I think we might have one here today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always... It's always a mixed bag though, right? Because like the shirt could not fit well or maybe you don't like the color anymore or maybe it's just not your style, right? So like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's exactly what-, what I was saying. You know, it's like this idea that like you've had this life without the shirt and now the shirt's the same, but what it might mean, the context of it now, everything can be different even though you are still yourself and this shirt is still this shirt. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I, I've been, uh, I want to say that our first record, it's, uh, it's not something, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe we'll touch on it more and more, but we did the Gaslight Anthem, uh, and 59 sound, and I haven't revisited it listening to it, but I've had a couple of those songs in my head. Um, so that's a good sign, right? Like on a, because that's the other side, that's not a new favorite. It was a new to me. Right. And, and I kind of, I, I think that's a good sign. And I've been appreciative for that as a a discovery thing that, that I listened to something that I had kind of for no good reason put at the back of the line yeah, and, and really enjoyed certain parts of it, you know, real elements that that like hung around with me. No, it's been fun so far. I mean, I I really liked listening to that album because that was new for both of us. This one, I mean, I guess we'll get into it, but um, you know, this one was actually kind of an older one for me. Um, but so far, all the music's been good, which is fun. I was worried, you know, when we started this thing that it would be like this masochistic venture where, you know, we're right. like just making ourselves listen to all these terrible records. But so far, that's not the case. So hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But, you yes. know, we'll, we'll, we'll see over time. <laughs> right. And that's the, the part that I'm like, you know, I want to keep a pretty positive energy as much as possible. But at the end of the day, also be honest and real. So, yeah, uh, today's one is a good one. So, um I feel pretty good. You want to you want to intro it and tell tell the people what we're going to get into today? Yeah, sure. So, um, record we're going to talk about today is Monster Magnet, um, Dopes to Infinity. Um, I think we chose this one just because you know they're a kind of classic New Jersey band from the '90s. Um, I grew up right around Red Bank, New Jersey, um, where they're from. Um, so, you know, I was pretty familiar with them just growing up as a kid. Um, I think my first um, experience with them was actually on a Beavis and Butthead episode yes. um, where they, you know, were watching the Negasonic Teenage Warhead video. 
Yep. Um, which I actually rewatched before this episode. It's fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Monster Magnet, you know, kind of, uh, I would say kind of like stoner rock influence, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, kind of spacey influence, like Hawkwind comes to mind. Sure. Um, you know, they were, I think they were obviously their biggest in the 90s, but they're still, you know, a very active band. Um, playing really big shows in Europe, also playing in the States. Um, I think they put a record out two years ago called Mindfucker. That's right. Um, and they were actually <laughs> supposed to um, be doing, I think, a, a power, what is it, Power Trip? I think power power trip, yeah. the album that came out after this, yeah. Yep. So Power Trip, they were supposed to do a Power Trip tour um, right around now, which is, uh, you know, like mid-2020. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately all of that got canceled due to the COVID situation. Yeah. Um, but you know, really long, you know, a, a band that's been active for a really long time. Um, I know that a lot of the dudes that are in the band were in a lot of bands previously. Um, Dave yeah. Windorf was in a band called Shrapnel, um, yeah. that, you know, was kind of like power pop stuff. Um, what was that early eighties? So the first Shrapnel 7-inch, Combat Love, the single came out in 78 or 79. 78, wow. All right. Yeah, I think it came out 78. And then they did a, a second single that's not nearly as memorable called Just Cruisin'. Yep. Um, that's pretty good. I, I actually, so I think, the, I think the Shrapnel Combat Love single is among the best of that ilk. It's, you know, it's like very post-Ramones, power poppy sound. It, totally sounds new york and new jersey and um it's up tempo just the song combat love has this real drive to it the b side of that is just a um you know uh, let me just be blunt a coked out party song yeah you know uh and then so it's not much but the song combat love just by itself is just killer 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 just cruising is fine they then and this is the part that i think is interesting i actually tracked down they did a I guess a full length on Electra, but it's not, I think it might only be five or six or seven songs. Yeah. Okay. It's a five song EP on Electra. I owned it. Let me just say, it's not good. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, like, I'm here to say like among like the power pop singles and all that, I think combat love is just this rock and like punk power pop, like force. It's incredible. Like a must hear, must own, check it out. Um, but the Just Cruising is fine. And the EP on Electra, it feels like they lost the plot completely. And that's okay. Like, you know, if they, who knows what they were going for? Who knows what the influences were? I, I bet it's out there, but I'd love to hear more about it. Um, I but do, it's interesting. I, I do that? love that first for that first seven inch, but I haven't revisited oh. any of that stuff in a really long time. The song Combat Love stands up. You'll, you'll hear it and be like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. It's it just um, – so it's Ramonzi without being – leaning in on any of the vocal cues that make you kind of like go, all right, all right, that's enough. It's also more progressive. Um, musically, it's got more going on. The drum sound is great. Everything about it is just really nice. Now, here's my thing, which is my complaint with a lot of the power pop type stuff. Perfect for a single would be very hard to achieve it on an album. You know what I mean? To do a whole album of that kind of 
that level and that quality without really diversifying your sound and the song structure. So, um, but that's, that's a perfect song to me. Maybe, you know, and there's a certain part of me that, um, so, all right, we're, we're shrapneling. I didn't think we'd shrapnel so early. Um, <laughs> shrapnel <laughs> is this like uh, seminal kind of like punk band from the New Jersey shore who doesn't get really any praise. Um, they're kind of a footnote and rightfully so to be honest in the grand scheme of things musically not that big a deal they would go up play new york a couple times played played new jersey a bunch but they were playing dive bars playing local places but they also maybe unintentionally helped shape the earliest new jersey punk and hardcore scene um, because a lot of the bands who ended up on the the record label mother records from the jersey shore started out by opening for shrapnel you know like they needed they needed bands to play with them and uh and so it ended up being kind of this weird kismet where this band inspired and kind of set up a bunch of these bands whether it's the worst or you know going further fatal rage that kind of stuff um they they you know the worst is a band who opened for shrapnel when they first started and they're much more of a hardcore sound not kind of not accessible, but, but the song combat love, I feel like you could play that for your mom. You could play that for your dad, your uncle, your aunt, and they'd be able to go, Oh, okay. Oh, this is kind of like punk music, man, or something, you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. And then, you know, you fast forward to monster magnet, which I don't know if you, if you don't mind, let's pull back. Sure. You gave your experience. I think I heard monster magnet similar in the mid nineties, like that, like saw him on Beavis and Butthead, but I didn't dive any further. Cause I wasn't like, I wasn't super into, it. I thought I was all right, but it like, didn't, and I didn't know that they were from New Jersey. So I was kind of like, ah, you know, and I just wasn't keyed in on it that way. And it's, it's probably five years later, say 2000, 2001, 2002, when, um, I like many great people who like music ended up working at a screen printing shop, making t-shirts and uh what you learn there is that if you don't like music well you're gonna be pretty boring or maybe you just listen to talk radio all day thankfully i like music so we listen to music all day every day you can listen to whatever and monster magnet became pretty regular rotation um this record and super judge both got a lot of spins and and the record before what's the record before super spine of god spine of god yeah spine of god was a big one um but Dopes to Infinity, it's been a long time since I revisited, and I was super glad I did. But um, but yeah, like before we go into this, when was the last time you listened to this record before we did so for, for this episode? So it was probably, I'm going to say, five years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, j- just to give a little bit more background, so... Um, I, you know, saw the video on Beavis and Butthead, kind of didn't look any further, kind of like you, you know, in my, I don't know, what was I, like 10 probably? Yeah, you, you were younger than me, idea. so yeah, yeah. child. Um, but then um, I was playing in bands and going to Red Bank rehearsal regularly, which is just a practice space in Red Bank that we discussed in the last episode. Um, and there was a guy named Jim, Jim Baglino um, that owned it and was there a lot of the time. 
Um, I believe he owned it. Um, and he was playing in Monster Magnet at the time, which was the early or like late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember seeing the stickers everywhere and, you know, like they were always around, you know, um, they um, there was a guy named Tim Cronin um, yeah. who worked at Jack's Music, who was like, you know, really just a super nice guy and would turn me on to cool shit all the time. Um, but he was Monster Magnet affiliated. He was actually, I think, their original singer. Um, yeah played some uh some drum tracks on uh, dopes to infinity i believe yep but um they were just always around you know because i was just a kid walking around redback so it was one of those things where i remember checking it out at the time just because i wanted to know like what they were about because they were so local um and it just didn't stick because it wasn't kind of my lane at the time i was into much faster crazier stuff yeah um and that was kind of my interest and my only interest at the time yeah um so but, you know, I, I felt like there were good vibes around the band. Like I dug the style. I dug the, you know, the, the people that I had met. Um, so I think it was like my early 20s that I was actually getting into, you know, like more stone rock oriented stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought about them and I was like, oh, like that band Monster Magnet, like they're Jersey band. I should like check them out again. And I got mm-hmm. kind of deeper into, you know, all of that stuff. So I've kind of been a, like an active fan that kind of pays attention to what they have going on since you know i don't know 15 years now but um yeah that's that's kind of the full history um but i i think you know to answer your question a long way of answering questions yeah it's been about five years yeah Um, i'd say it's probably been about that for me on this record maybe even a little bit longer yeah so i would say it, it had been long enough that i was like oh yeah i like negasonic teenage warhead i like Dose and Infinity, the song, and I was like, there's a few other tracks on there that I really like. All right, let me think about this. Um, and then when I was listening, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, this is the one, you know? So it was, it was a good kind of slipping back into this. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where, like, you know, I mentioned it the last episode. I'll continue to mention it. I mean, one of the reasons we are doing this podcast is to kind of, you know, appreciate albums as albums, you know, and, like, really give them that yeah. space. Um, and I think this is one that like, you know, in our current day and age, it's, it's tough to like give yourself that time. And this is like definitely an album. It's a significant, it's a significant amount of time. You know, it's like, I think it's over an hour. Yes, Um, it is. Hour and two minutes. There's a lot of depth to it. So, you know, maybe in that five year period, I'd like, played the first couple songs and you know something else happened or i like you know was on a walk and got to my location you know like i don't know but um it was cool to sit down with it again because yeah i mean there was a lot of there were a lot of songs that i had completely forgotten about that are definitely good songs you know so so it's an interesting thing to talk about not just the music but um but i want to give a little bit of insight to to the the world that you grew up in as well as the place that, that this band kind of came from red bank new jersey is in monmouth county northern monmouth county and you live a couple towns away uh but i remember that's where we would hang out when when i first met you and, and you know like we started hanging out and we were kids like i couldn't drive i would take the train up um and <laughs> we would kind of you know you mentioned walking around and walking to jack's music and red bank that was for a town. Now let's spade a spade. 
Red Bank's a pretty nice town. Yeah. You know, got, I mean, it's gotten progressively nicer, you know. Yes, like yes. And, uh, you know, hoity-toity might not be kind, but it might be appropriate. Yeah, at this point, definitely. But I will say this. It had this weird infusion of people into underground music and alternative music and different type of stuff. And I don't know how, but it was it was this thread. And just like there's a couple sub shops. What's the sub shop on Monmouth? Elsie? Elsie's. Elsie's. Oh, my God. That place is great. So just like a couple of these places that keep that kind of unique flavor to a place that otherwise is getting infiltrated with like an Urban Outfitters on the corner. And, oh, look over there. It's this, t- you know, um, the weird underground music in this otherwise like really nice town made it just so cool. And I just remember you and and all your buddies would go, would like walk around town all the time. And I was like, I was so jealous because where I lived was much more suburban. So, you know, you, we'd walk around our neighborhoods, but there was no like downtown area to just like hang about in. And it just, I wonder about how that impacted Red Bank and people from the towns around there and, just as being a place to go and Jack's music was a fixture. There's been other different music places that have popped up. And, you know, I, I just think about that sometimes like, man, that, that was really special. I hope it still exists in some way. And if it's not in Red Bank somewhere else, but just is a cool thing to think about. No, it's definitely cool. It's definitely, as far as I can tell, it's always been a hub, um, you know, where teenagers will just hang out and kick it. Um, the White Street parking lot has historically been, you know, the hangout spot. At least it was for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wonder about that. You know, I see flyers from the 80s of like, you know, ripping corpse shows. Yeah. And I wonder like, were those kids hanging out in the White Street Park a lot? You know, like I'd love to know. But how, Yeah, like how long has Red Bank Rehearsal been this hub of weird bands of all types, you know? Yeah. So, um, so anyways, uh, Monster Magnet, Dopes to Infinity. Uh, been been some years for both of us. I really liked what we talked about on the last episode. What were your... Did you have any... I, I take it you're more familiar with this record. I was more familiar with this record than the last one. As we discussed, we were completely unfamiliar. Yeah. But did you have any presumptions or inklings or, or feelings residual that weren't... that were kind of like loose wires, things that you didn't think about but you were thinking like, ah, oh, mate, is this the one that I like more? Like, is there anything that you you had pre- pre- prior to listening uh, again that that you that stuck with you? So, I was curious to revisit it because of their kind of like bigger major label albums. I usually went to Power Trip. Yeah, um, that was usually the one that I you know would listen to if I wanted that sound, and then. If I wanted, you know, the earlier kind of more chaotic stuff, I would go for Spine of God or like the early EPs they had. Yep. Um, I was a big fan of all of that stuff. This one, like, I knew it was one of the bigger ones, but for some reason, I just never really went to it. It was never, you know, the album that I gravitated towards. So I knew it had some hits, but I also was really curious to revisit it just because I didn't really like, I didn't really remember like the details of it, you know? Yes. Um, I know the song Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I remember the opener, the opening track. Yep. Um, but outside of that, it, just, it was just kind of like a wash in my memory. 
Um, so I knew that I liked it, but I didn't really know like what I was going to get out of it on this listen. Um, so I was curious to like, you know, listen to it in the, in the, you know, kind of more concentrative way that we've been listening to things. Um, what about you? I mean, yeah. So it had been a while. I think the last monster magnet I listened to was spine of God. And maybe power, maybe power trip. But I I remember, I remember liking this one, but it's sticking out a little bit and I didn't remember exactly why. And then on the listen, I was like, yep, there it is. That's what it is. So uh, we'll kind of get into that as we go through, but I didn't have any negative feelings. I remember this one very warmly. Um, I don't know. I, you know, this one might be my favorite. So spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, so we talked a little bit about, you know, where these guys were, this is the early band. They did a Dave Windorf did the band Trapnel. I don't think he did any bands before monster magnet, but that makes sense because monster magnet starts in what, like 88, I think 89, but I I, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that monster magnet existed under a different name for about a year. So it could be possible that they, Sure. Around for a year or so. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, 88, 89. Right. And and then they yeah. move quickly, um, sign a Caroline, get moving, do some EPs, and then Spine of God is the first album. Yeah. And so it keeps going. There's other bands that maybe we'll touch on, but there were no other bands these guys came from, per se. Um you know, like, uh, for example, the band Atomic Bitchwax, I think a couple of these guys cycled in and out of that band, who yeah. I think is pretty notable. Like, I, I think that's a good band. And of this world of heavy rock, stoner rock, um, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about that. And if you're curious what stoner rock means, we can suss that out a little. Um, but Atomic Bitchwax, I, I think it's worth noting. Um, with that said... Monster Magnet, Dopes Infinity. Let me put this thesis out there and you can kind of like rebut it. Tell me what you think. Monster Magnet, Dopes Infinity is a heavy rock record, stoner rock, with significant alt touches. How do you feel about that? I mean... um it definitely makes sense. Um, it is, yeah, I mean, it's more or less there. I think um, they, in terms of stoner rock, though, I think like there's, like, it's more than just typical stoner rock because I think they get a little yes. bit more freaky. Yes, they go space yeah. rock. They get some, they go way more 70s than yeah. they go. They go spacey instead of sludgy. So let's let's start this. We've used the term stoner rock. I'm sure there are people who are listening who don't know what that is. Yeah. So um, when I think of stoner rock, yes. I think of Black Sabbath primarily. I think that there is no stoner rock without Black Sabbath, right? That's um, that's the point. That's a great reference to go like, hey, if you need to know, like, this is the ohm, this is the god, there yeah. it is. Like think about the song Sweet Leaf, you know, um, mm-hmm. 
that's like you could take that song and basically like start a family tree of you know stone rock bands i'm sure like from that but and i think you can take that i mean and then you march it forward and you go okay well there's that branch and then there's the war pigs branch you know and and so like sabbath and that kind of 70s you know black sabbath is a metal band right Or, or it gets called that but as we've evolved the term metal um, it feels almost inappropriate to call Black Sabbath a heavy metal band, you know? Right. <laughs> but that's, it's aggressive. Dry, it's It alternates between driving and slow and heavy at, at all points. And there's kind of, to me, there's a branching of Stoner Rock where it goes two ways. One is where it kind of goes spacier, a little more rocking, but with a, real look back at all the 70s roots you know that's that's the one branch the other branch goes full dirge and is looking more into sludge heavy beyond heavy and gritty both of these sounds have parallels both of these sounds can bounce off of each other but i think there's the one branch that goes kind of more fu manchu nebula uh geez what are some other good examples here um those are two very good ones that you yeah, can go. These are rocking. Really um, and then the other side, you go to like, that's where you get your sleep. You know, yeah. uh, you get your more drony stuff on that branch as well. So in between those, you have a huge spectrum of different things. But those are some good basics. Monster Magnet, I think, leans way more to the rocking side. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are tracks on here that felt like kind of heavier Led Zeppelin songs, you know. For sure, for sure. And I mean, that's the, that's the part where where you, when you hear the term stoner rock, um, I don't think I, I've it, do. You, that might be a term that someone could feel like icky about, or or like, oh, that's not for me. Uh, don't don't you know that's like anything anybody can get offended by anything what i would tell you is that there's tracks on this that could be led zeppelin there's tracks on this where you could go oh i i see them pulling from the absolute poppiest level of black sabbath you know the absolute cleanest level the energy levels of stuff like that you could find on the b-side of a kiss kiss record you know what i mean right um and i think that is one of the things that makes this record almost an anachronism because it comes out in 1995 and you can hear that and that's the touches of alternative. But overall, the record's really married to this rock sound that was very much not the thing in the mid 90s. Yeah, um, I actually I was reading an interview with um, Dave Windorf. I think it was kind of a retrospective interview. I think it was done in the last couple of years, but he was talking about um, you know, when Dopes to Infinity came out and he said something along the lines of like, you know, I thought Nirvana sounded like Boston. So oh, like, wow. I, I didn't want to really write anything that sounded like that. You know, he's like, so, you know, the label wanted a hit. I wrote Negasonic Teenage Warhead in like half an hour or something like that, yeah. which, you know, to me, it was like, it was telling only because, you know, this record came out in 95 and Nirvana was like, you know, I, I guess it ended a year or so before that. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, there's definitely alternative influence and you can definitely hear, uh, 
yeah kind of that it came out at that time but at yeah. the same time it's like it's definitely it exists outside of that like Soundgarden, nirvana pearl jam sounds you know it's 100%. Like, they, and it lives outside of that they're definitely pulling from different places, you know, than those yeah. bands were. And I mean, some of the same places, but you know, it, there's, it's distinct for sure. No. And, and I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. What they're, the part that's interesting to me most about it is that, um, you know, one negative sonic teenage warhead, when you read about it and go, Oh, this was his kind of response to grunge and kind of pushback and all that. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. Cool. Cool to see that, especially at that time. Two, he is pull, they he Dave Windorf, but the band Monster Magnet is certainly pulling from a different influence set than the grunge bands of the time. But what I think is the biggest difference is that Windorf and company are going back to you know a step before what the grunge bands are pulling from. I think the grunge bands are getting a lot of those influences put through the filter of certain stuff, you know, and, and that's not to dismiss them. I think all of these dudes were familiar with black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and all that. But I feel like they were also getting a huge influx of the early eighties punk sound of the mid eighties kind of college rock stuff, some noisy stuff. And that that was all kind of influencing it more than what you would hear on the monster magnet records. And, um, you know, if, if you were to ask me, Dopes to Infinity is almost the most alternative that Monster Magnet gets. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. You know, um, so so that's that. And it's interesting to me because I, I feel it. And at the same time, I think about the way these peer influences go because Monster Magnet does a tour before this record opening for Soundgarden. And that's fascinating because it's kind of like, okay, you guys were clearly not a part of the grunge quote unquote world. But you were not not, and you were kind of parallel to it in a lot of ways. And your your worlds kind of merged and kind of intersected. But I think overall their sound was too, it was too much like a pure rock record of the 70s variety, you know, um, to, to click in and to like, like when you hear Negasonic Teenage Warhead, it to me is not the definitive MTV Buzzbin song, but like it's right in that mix. Like you're like, oh, this could be the background music for like any MTV news segment in 1995. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, but the funny part is, is, like that's the stand. Like that's yes. the only song on the album that sounds like that. You know? Yes. And there's a couple other moments. I, I'll say this. I think that the song. Let's see. It is. Um, I believe the song "Blow 'Em Off" um, has some moments where it feels very alternative. Um, the song King of Mars, which is one of my favorite songs on the record. I almost, <clears throat> there's parts of that song, the song King of Mars, which is like the ninth track on the record that remind me of like mid era Foo Fighters. And this clearly predates that stuff. Yeah. But I'm like, Oh, just cause it's, there's this clean level to his vocal that just sounds very much like the same kind of thing that you would hear um, Dave Grohl going for as Foo Fighters progressed. And that made sense to me because I'm like, oh, right. Because after the first two Foo Fighter records, that dude started really pulling into the bag of 70s rock. 
and kind of looking for ways to do this. And that was both big and small because, you know, the bands that I think would be the easiest references for Monster Magnet, um, Black Sabbath, Hawkwind, um, much smaller band, but the band Sir Lord Baltimore. If people aren't familiar, that band's really fucking good. Two albums that are awesome. Um, there's a few others, but there's hints that remind me this band is aware of Led Zeppelin. They're aware of Kiss. They're aware of all the big 70s rock records. And you can almost hear that on some of the songs on here. Because yeah, I think this was their attempt to get big. You know, Not not like, hey, we're going to sell out. Because I don't hear that on the record at all. But they're like, oh, what are some of the things that we can pull into our sound that would perhaps enable it to be more palatable to this larger audience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely a lot of that, like, kind of proto-metal, like, Sir, Sir Lord Baltimore, you know, you mentioned it's, like, like uh, Atomic Rooster, bands like that, like, kind of lesser known, yes. kind of 70s bands that were, you know, trying to, a lot of them were, like, doing the Sabbath thing, you know, while Sabbath were doing it. Um, yep. <laughs> and, you know, a few of them were, like, you know, kind of followed in the trail. But um, one of the things that stood out to me, too, was, like, and you kind of touched on it, but just the depth of the album, like yeah. all the tracks are really, really like, there's a lot of instrumentation going on. There's a lot of different, you know, things happening. Um, you know, you can tell that he got, you know, Mellotrons in there and, you know, was kind of plugging away for a while. So, um, you know, touching back too on the fact that he was playing in bands in the seventies, Dave Windorf, you know, yeah. I mean, like, yep. It's 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 funny that like this is the third full length from Monster Magnet, but it's like I don't know his like twelfth record or something, you know. So right, like, right. The dude had been like schooled, and it seemed like this was like obviously a bigger opportunity. There was like buzz off of Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Um, um, you know, it, it definitely seemed like the band. You can kind of feel that like excitement around it. Um, when it's like a band who's really worked hard for something and they like get that opportunity. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. what this record sounded like to me. Like they were like really going for it and like put their all into this record that they believed in. And like commercially, I don't know that it did all that well. I'm sure it didn't do as well as they would have hoped, but like, yep. I'm, you know, I have to imagine they're probably still happy with it because um, I don't know. It seems like a lot of love went into it. Yeah, no, and you know what? That uh, exactly the point I was looking for. I was trying to I was circling around it. Alice Cooper is another one that I'm like, oh yeah, like Alice Cooper. <laughs> for the uninitiated, Alice Cooper might seem like passe, passe uh, pastiche or, or passe is a better word. Alice Cooper might seem passe or not cool. But yo, that dude's got songs. Like that dude's got yeah. great songs in that catalog that are just instantly memorable. Um, and and I can hear some of that where it's like, oh, Alice Cooper was pop accessible, but also was just writing these banger songs that just had a ton of fucking energy. So um, so yeah, I, I think that's something um, that I hear in there too. So what record is that? I love. There's a one Alice Cooper record that I fucking love. Love it to death is the shit. Is That's that mine. The, oh, fuck, I'm trying to remember the title of it. Let me look it up for a second. But that was a record that, um, you know, to to go into the like, yeah, it's oh maybe it's Easy Action. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, Easy Action. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, 
Easy Action and Love It to Death, both fucking fantastic. And it's a like those records are records that stand out to me because I was 18, 19, and I was into all sorts of music. But I love, I love, you know, guitar music. I love rock music. I love a lot of 70s rock music. But I was still young, and and it's an interesting thing to think about the idea that like, how are you connecting to something that's you know came out ten years before you were even born? Like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, love it to death. Oof, banger. Uh, <laughs> and I remember listening to these records on a cross country drive and just being like, man, there's so much. There's a lot going on, and there was a great flow to it. And that's the parallel I see to a record like Dopes to Infinity. What I really, really appreciated on this listen. And I'll ask you this, but I felt like this was a great doorway for someone who's into this kind of sound, but is like, hey, I'm a bit, I, I know Black Sabbath, I know Led Zeppelin, but I'm a little bit intimidated on where to go from here. And I feel like Monster Magnet is a great band to start with to see, okay, what direction do you like them? Here's five other bands to check out I was- you know, and what direction you can go in. Yeah, I was definitely actually thinking that while I was listening to it, where I think they're a great gateway band. Yes. Um, like, there's a band that I love called Spaceman 3. Yeah. Um, oh. And even the beginning of Negasonic Teenage Warhead, like kind of that that drone that they have going on in the background, like that, if you're into that drone, like that's what Spaceman 3 sound like. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> you could like pick that up and, you know, uh, you know, it seems like, I was actually looking at the lyrics to see if they dropped any like really obvious hints um, right. of things. I, I didn't really get all that many references, honestly, but um, I'm sure that, you know, if you if you did your Monster Magnet homework, you could, you know, see like where exactly they were pulling from. But yeah, I think they're like a perfect gateway band if, if that's the kind of thing you were interested in, because not only is it like you know, like eighties psych, but it's also, mm-hmm. you know, like velvet underground. There's like yeah. 60s psychedelia. There's obviously like the punk influence that we talked about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, I really, and just to go into like my personal feelings, I really enjoyed the record. I was, I remember like being like, Oh yeah. Okay. And I'm looking at the track listening before I listen. I was like, okay, I think I like this one. And there weren't many complaints. I, I posed a question to you, and this is where we get to be unfair A and R guys. We'll, we'll we'll put ourselves in at some giant major label, uh, corporate machine who's like, "Yo, you got to cut three songs," blah, because it's a long record. This it's is an long. hour and two minutes. And I asked you, and I almost did it for a reason. Are there what songs would you cut if you had to cut songs? So I think I have to say off the bat, my, my ideal kind of play time for an album is probably like 30 to 45 minutes max. Yes. Um, I, you know, if we're talking about punk rock records, it's, it's much. Cut that in half. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 20, 20, 25. Yeah. But 30s pushing it. Yeah. Typical album, let's say like 30 to 45 minutes. Yep. There's like, usually no reason for a double LP, you know, if you, if you listen to vinyl, yes. um, in my opinion. So this one, um, it's a little long for me. Um, I, there are two songs. One is ego, the living planet. Yep. (laughs) And the the other is, um, kind of Mars actually, or King, sorry, King King of of Mars. Mars. 
Oh, um, really? King yeah, of Mars he, is the song I was referencing about well, the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. So, like, Ego the Living Planet, actually, Third Alternative is another one. Third Alternative is on my list, yeah. Um, I could probably do without those. Um, Ego the Living Planet and actually um, the song Theme from Masterburner. Yes. So, like, those are essentially two instrumental tracks. Yes. Which... You know, I totally understand the appeal and I understand why they put them on there. And like, you know, this is a vibey record and they're going for vibe, you know, like they want you to have songs to like, like literally get baked to, you know, and you, you said um, it well, it's an album like this. Yeah. is It's part of the experience. And so like, this is where we're saying respectfully, we've re- like, I don't have any problem with those songs and I actually like it as a choice for the record. But if we are being the jerks who are pulling songs off the record. Yeah. I would pull one of those instrumentals. I like theme from Masterburner a lot more than Ego the Living Planet. So, you know, I would I think I would pull Ego the Living Planet. Um, but actually one of the things that I thought to myself was um, you know, when I was thinking about this was some songs like can kill live and they don't need to be on an album. Like one of my favorite things is when bands have kind of like hit tracks that they've never recorded. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then there are like super fans who are, you know, aware of them. Maybe they're listening to like live tapes or something like that. But I thought to myself, like this band could have like killer, like secret live tracks that, you know, are just like these fucking blowout, like, um, like, like epic rock tunes, you know, like epic noise tracks that like no one would ever hear unless you see them live. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Ego the Living Planet. It's it, like it's recorded great. Like it it sounds super wild, um, but like live they could just like they could kill with that song. Oh, probably. that should be that should be the live bootleg like special. Like everybody yeah, exactly. knows that song. It's a hit. Everybody loves it. But you know, oh maybe it's on a European bootleg. The, or the European secret track, you can catch Ego, the living planet, but that's the only way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that answers your question. I mean, King of Mars for me, I know you like yeah. that one. For me, it just kind of drags. I don't know. Okay. Just, I mean, yeah, no, here's the thing. Four minutes, 33 seconds. Yeah. It could go on a little long. I get it. Um, so for me, Ego was on the list, but I love the reference. Um, for people who are paying attention, uh, there are Monster Magnet is full of references to uh, to some of Dave Windorf's favorite things, which include comic books, specifically uh, Marvel comics of the Jack Kirby generation. So, Ego: The Living Planet is a comic book reference. I vibe on that. That's on my cut list. Look to your orb for the warning is on my cut list. Track three. It's not a bad song, but I would cut it maybe. Because I like the the Dope's Infinity, I like Negasonic Teenage Warhead, I like All Friends and Kingdom Come might be my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Blow Em Off is the track that that to me felt the most, Negasonic Teenage Warhead is the most alternative and like, hey, this is, you know, like this is the, we're submitting this for a video on MTV in 1995. Blow them off almost has the like, okay, if there was going to be a second single, this is it feel third alternative. It's a long song could cut it. And then the, you know, theme for master burner and vertigo, 
don't do anything for me. King of Mars, I really like. I could see it dragging. And when I made the Foo Fighters comparison, mid-era Foo Fighters, I there was a part of me that cringed and was like, oh, man, did I just make myself like this song less? <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, but overall, I asked that question. And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? Even the songs I would take off add to this record as an album. Like, this is not... This is not a flip it on and just like click in and out. This is a whole listen. There are tracks. If you just wanted to grab the song, Dope's Infinity, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, All Friends and Kingdom Come, throw them, I Control I Fly, I think it's a great song. You throw those songs on, you know, a mix, cool, totally works. But if you want the full experience, those those weird tracks are part of it. You know, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that was obviously part of the plan. Um, You know, for me, like the first four tracks, I actually, I think are perfect. I'm like totally in up until track five. And then that's where it kind of goes off. I I actually love the track Dead Christmas. Okay, Um, yeah. I completely forgot about that track. And like, it's probably one of my top two or three on the album. Um, But I feel like if you, if they did, you know, the first four tracks maybe like one of the noise tracks, like theme from Afterburner, Dead Christmas, and like two or three others. And it was like a 45 minute album. It would be, I honestly, I think it might be like have more and more staying power if it was like more concise, you know? I mean, I think that's a conversation that's worth having is that as time goes by, I think that people are making records shorter and shorter. Even for this format of music, the long album does it slip because it's not an easy process you know writing a writing a 50 minute record let alone a 62 minute record is no small feat and um and to do so without a significant lull i can i can count the number of records that i really love that are over an hour long on two hands you know what i mean like and and I like a lot of records, you know, so, yeah. so it's, um, it's not an easy game to play once you get to that long. Is this their longest record? That's a good question. I'll, I'll look into that. I'll look in, I'll look at that for a second while we do this. I'm, I'm going to say that it's probably not at all. Yeah. yeah there's a good chance it isn't. Since, since then they've actually done like Dave Windorf has done two albums. I think that are like, I think he calls them reimaginings um, of other oh, yeah. albums, yeah. which are actually like, they're really cool. They're super psychedelic. They're, they're, they're actually, it's not some like bullshit remix album. Like he, he actually completely revamps these songs and it, it sounds very cool, but those are like really, really spacey albums that I have to imagine go over an hour. Yeah. And so power trip is 60 minutes. God says no is 60 minutes. Like those two albums are almost to the dot the same length. And I know God says, says no pretty well as well. Um, and that is, let's see, I'm going through the later records. Yeah. Mono baby. I think it is the longest record. Look at that. All right. But he gets close, you know, like they are not, Oh, you know what? Never mind. The album mastermind from 2010 66 minutes and 23 seconds. I've never heard this record. I should check it out. Mastermind. Yeah, that one I don't remember all that well. You know, this is a band who would be interesting to look at their sales history as well. 
Yeah. Because there was a time in the mid nineties, they were selling a lot of records, but I'm looking at this, um, for mastermind eighth studio album, blah, 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 debuted at number 165 on the billboard 200 selling around 3000 copies. Th that's not, please be very clear. There's nothing bad about that. That's pretty cool. And this is a band who can go play Europe in front of a lot of people. That said, <clears throat> they were around at the height of the CD era um, and were touring with Soundgarden and doing these big tours and touring with uh, Marilyn Manson and Hole. You know, like this was a big band. So they were hitting the Billboard chart when it was taking tens of thousands of records to get on there, if not way more than that. So, um, you know, this was the, the record Power Trip was a gold record, you know. Um, yeah. so, so that's pretty amazing to think about just a band who came in like, by the way, we mentioned the term stone rock. That's as a genre monster magnet is early in that boat in the, when the genre catalyzed black Sabbath probably didn't refer to themselves as stoner rock other than being like, yeah, we're a rock band and we're all stoners. You know, uh, Sir Lord Bal Baltimore certainly didn't either. I think that was a term that came and like was a way to describe bands heavily influenced by this sound. And Monster Magnet's kind of on the earlier end of that spectrum. Do you think, is that true or yeah, am I fucking that up? That sounds right to me. I mean, at least they're definitely one of the bigger bands um, that were doing it, you know, around that time. Okay, so I asked you another question. In what public public setting or social setting could you play dopes to infinity the album like as an album as an album you just put it on press play i don't think there is one <laughs> i mean like like uh, i mean uh, i thought to myself like you know like you know you could go to uh, a bar like some dive bar and you have the album on and I think it would be accepted and perfectly fine. Oh yeah. I mean you this, know? this record could be played in any bar in Brooklyn. No yeah, problem. Exactly. Like St. I'm sure, I'm sure St. Vitus bar has played this album, you know, yes. start to finish, but if there's uh, any bars in, in long branch, the Brighton bar probably doesn't allow this record because it's been played too many times. <laughs> uh, but if there's any bar in long branch, you can play this record. Um, right. All right. I'll give you some, some examples. This is a record store record. Okay. 100%. Good length. You can play it. Now, I say fuck you on Christmas Day. Some harsh lyrics, but overall, most record stores don't care. I think this is a record store record. You can play this in almost any record store. People are psyched. Yeah. Um, this is a record you could probably get away with playing in a comic book store. This is a record that has probably been played to death in tattoo shops everywhere. Sure. Uh, and I think if you have the right kind of barbecue with the right vibe, you could have this on. Yeah. Yeah, but barbecue, definitely. It, I mean, it, one of the things that came to my mind was like, you know, um, Dave Windorf, Monster Magnet, you know, like the, the kind of drug use oh, yeah, yep, is like yep. really, really heavy handed, um, which, you know, I, I think it's fine. I mean, that's like, it's, you know, part of their, part of their deal. Um, but I guarantee you that a lot of kids at the time, you know, 17, 18, 19 in their 20s, just like sitting around getting stoned listening to this album. I think it's like they, they which is probably like their main intention. You know, I think it was like meant to be an album that you kind of get fucked up to and listen to as an album, you know. So 
that's that's one of the things I thought about too. Yeah, no. Uh, yes, 100%. In the mid-90s, drug kids were doing this wherever. Yeah. <laughs> in the woods, yeah. in a shed, whatever. Um, <laughs> so here's my question. Are you – where does this record fit in in the spectrum of other 90s stuff that you like? Because for me, I like a lot of the grunge stuff. I like a lot of the indie rock stuff that was going on. I like a lot yeah. of the stoner rock and heavier stuff. I, I, the the wave that I really get in on is, um, oh gosh, what is where um, where Frank Kozik did a uh, record label, uh, Man's Ruin, and he did this. Uh, Frank Kozik's an artist. Uh, you know his posters if you've seen them but he did a record label called man's ruin records and this fits right in there. Um, yeah. so it fits there. But when I think about it, monster magnet kind of got bigger than most of those bands, you know? Yeah, no, they definitely did. Um, my favorite night. So you're asking like my favorite nineties. Well, how does this fit in? Like, where does this fit in spectrum wise? Cause like, what would you say is your favorite type of nineties stuff? And then how does this fit in? So I have to say, I love the nineties. Um, yeah. you know, I grew up in the era and I'm familiar with a lot of the music. Um, so I, my favorite is tough. I mean, I go to, you know, I, I love all the grunge stuff. Um, I was just recently actually revisiting Pantera. Um, oh, look at you. Yeah. Respect. Um, yeah. It's not, I don't think it's my thing, but that's for a different conversation. Um, it's not my thing either, but we should discuss it. it yeah. Maybe that'll be, we'll do some, that'll be the, uh, the secret episodes. We do non New Jersey stuff. Yeah, we don't sure. tell um, so, I mean, I don't know the last 10 or so years, 10, 15 years, like spiritualized and like the Brit pop thing. Like I love mm. that stuff. So that's yeah. probably like some of my favorite of the era, um, you know, pulp and suede and, a lot of that stuff that was, sure. some of it was big over here. Some of it wasn't as big. Um, I think that, you know, I was actually like looking at this in that context and thinking like, you know, grunge was on the way out and kind of new metal was like on the way in. Right. Like yep. I, I saw that they actually toured with COC and corn like yep. around the time, yep. um, different tours, but like those are, to my knowledge at the time, like very different crowds, you know? So I think that they could have fit in in any number of different buckets. Yeah. Um, and it was just a matter of like either creating their own bucket or like, you know, going with the one that like kind of celebrated them the most, but I really don't know. And I, and I honestly, I feel like that's maybe part of their, like maybe was one of their issues when it came to like finding a larger audience was like, like where do they fit in? Because after after ninety five, like new metal beca becomes a thing, and yeah, you know, they they definitely don't fit in that category. I don't think so. I think that's that's the that's the narrative here is that it's like where was you know guitar music going post grunge? You know, um, I think there's this little microwave, no pun. There was a a small yeah. wave of bands after the initial thing, you know, after you get your sound gardens, Pearl jam, Allison chain, stone temple pilots, Nirvana. After that, 
And after Kurt Cobain dies, you get this weird kind of what I call post grunge, uh, which is which is the the gin blossoms and better than Ezra and this really kind of like very palatable radio friendly guitar music that's still very much like it's alternative but soft alternative you know it's it's alternative for everyone and um and that just wasn't who who monster magnet was you know and i'm not saying that if this record came out in 1992 it would have had a greater audience that's not true at all but they found themselves being not grunge enough for grunge but i'm sure there was a lot of fans and people who enjoyed them you know in that world but then yeah. where it went after that was this really weird place cuz you had exactly like you said there's new metal and they're not that and that's i think that's where the the much larger underground scene for this kind of stuff started taking hold and why it became its own sort of subdivision. It wasn't like punk music. It wasn't um, college rock. It wasn't indie rock. It was its own like stoner rock. It was this heavy rock thing that was essentially looked at like, Hey, if this is going to be an underground music scene, so be it. We wouldn't mind playing arenas. Fine, but don't have to, we'll do it just like this because we want to do it. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, what I said before about Dave Warndorf saying Nirvana sounded like Boston, like it seemed like he was he was almost like steadfastly refusing to like, like be a hit maker. And I, I don't even mean hit maker like negatively, you know, like I, I actually love Nirvana. Same, um, yeah. But uh, like every song is a, like it's a track. There's like like endless nameless is like a, a little noisy, but even that is like catchy somehow, you yep, know? Yep. Um, so like he wasn't writing like space rock tracks that like literally could just be, you know, soundtracks from sixties movies, you know? Um, whereas Dave Windorf, like not only insisted on doing that, but like incorporating them, many of them sometimes, I guess here, like into albums. Right. But like, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think he could have written an album like full of just like like hit tracks, but that's like not his vision. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. I'm I'm curious like what he thinks about it, or if he thinks that you know he could have done it differently or should have done it differently. You know? No, I, I mean that's a great question. I I also wonder at the end of the day how differently his music writing process was than some of these bands, these grunge bands or, or the bands who, you know, he, he professes that Negasonic Teenage Warhead is against. It's probably not that far off, but it's just the reference points are a little different. So yeah. Um, Real quick question, Bob. You got it. So I'm a big lyric guy and I know that you are too. Yes. What did you think about the lyrics? Oh boy. They were all over the place. That's one of the parts that, <laughs> that I think I appreciated because it really felt like it was just that's one of the things that I think sets it apart mostly from grunge is that he's getting into some weird places here. Um, if anything, it has more in common with something like clutch uh, <laughs> where and I, I you know there's people I'm not a clutch super fan by any stretch of the means, but they got some good songs, but there's parts where it's he's taking a narrative 
perspective where he's telling stories in these songs and that's very much not of the time. Um, but let me also say at the same time, there's a lot of grit to it. You know, this isn't sugar coated, uh, you know, ice cream and lollipops stuff. There's some pretty hard stuff going on in there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really liked, there's definitely a focus when it comes to the lyrics. I think, you know, the same way that there's like the focus on the album, it's like, it's all about space, you know, yes. and like you can, you can read into it any way you want, but like when you're reading it on paper, if you're taking it literally, it's just, it's about like planets and gods and yes. you know, like otherworldly beings. And I thought that was cool. I just, for me, like it, 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 if I'm being honest, it just, it felt a little samey without like um, getting me to a place that I wanted to be in, you know, like, I feel like, I, I, I feel like that's one of the things that could make me love this record more is like if there was, if I felt like those lyrics got me to a place. And, and I say that because like there's songs like, like the song power trip on the, on the album that follows this. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it feels more human. Like he's still using the language of like space and gods and all of this stuff, which is cool. But like, it, it kind of relates it back to him. I think a totally, lot totally. And like, like, whereas here, like there are times where I'm like, I actually have no idea like what he's talking about, but it sounds cool, you know? And like that, maybe, that is, it, it, there's, there's a little bit of an arm's length on some of the lyrics. Yeah. I think out, I think Negasonic Teenage Warhead actually is sort of grounded and you can hear a little bit of his vitriol and like, there's some emotion that there, whereas then you get into, like I said, the, the song, uh, all friends of kingdom come, uh, you know, it's like, what's going on? Does this just sound cool? Um, and I don't want to make it sound like that. There's, there's really cool shit going on here, but, but you put it very well. It's, it's spacey and a little bit distant and he's telling stories here, you know, King of Mars, uh, to me, it feels like he's describing John Carter or something like that. You know, like there's, (laughs) there's actually like, he's going for these, tropes that you would see in like oh i'm writing theme record you know i i was tasked to write you know um the flash gordon soundtrack cool let's go you know yeah 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 i mean um negasonic teenage warhead and um dead christmas were the two that i i definitely felt like brought it to a human level which again with negasonic teenage warhead like he has it in him if he wants to like write that like (sighs) track you know oh yeah and like biting lyrics but like well played and you can you can see what he's saying but he's doing it really artfully yeah um, dead christmas i think is the one that has the uh the uh i said fuck you on christmas line and that's yeah. that's one that just sticks out it's like whoa boy all right yeah um, it's a little angry but it also just it sounds like a like a psychedelic it's like it's like the monkeys went to space or something. You know, like, <laughs> yes, like, yes, it yes. Sounds like a sixties jingle, but like it, it like is obviously way more psychedelic than that. I think that's one of the things I appreciate about this record a lot is the sensibility of it. There's referencing. There's this this idea of Windorf yearning for some of the things that he had as a young man, as a kid. You know. Um, and those things leaving a heavy impression on him and him citing it. But at the same time, it doesn't feel throwback. It feels, it feels 
like they're taking these things and using them very directly, but, but making something new. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. that could be said of a lot of monster magnets material uh, throughout, be it both the lyrics and music. No, for sure. I mean, I said before the, the Zeppelin song, like third alternative is actually what I was thinking of where it just sounded like, it sounded like a Zeppelin tune, but like using Sabbath's guitar tones and like making it a little more dirgy. Yes. You know, yeah. like, like, so yeah, there's definitely no like obvious rips. It's just, you know, definitely taking things and, you know, making them their own, like you said, which, which is cool. I mean, the album actually, to me, like it didn't really sound dated. Like you can definitely tell that it, it's, it's dated in the way that it definitely sounds like it came from the nineties, yeah. but I think, I think production wise, it stands up way better than a lot of the albums that came out at the time. Um, like Absolutely. I think, I think someone could hear it now, you know, with like a modern kind of sensibility and it wouldn't sound like you're listening to, you know, uh, trying to think of like a record that dated poorly from the nineties, but it, w- it wouldn't sound like, you know, it wouldn't there's, sound too dated. No, there's a lot of rock records from the eighties and nineties that you hear people. One of their biggest complaints is that the production on it just is really tough. I think, um, I think this record we, we referenced it as a gateway record or uh, like, um, yeah, I think it's a gateway record, yeah. it, it, you know, and the drug reference works very appropriately here, <laughs> uh, but it's a gateway record because it sounds really good. It sounds great. It was recorded at electric Ladyland, um, which is fucking cool. Sounds great. And if you like it, you th- can then jump back and into a lot of different stuff that maybe the production values aren't as high but we'll but this is the this is the toe in the water you know what i mean and if you can yeah. rock with this you're good i would actually love to talk to someone about you know if this was a gateway record for them and like where they oh, went yeah. next you know that would be an interesting conversation yeah so so if that's somebody out there listening please please hit us up who would you recommend this record to cuz i think we're getting close to wrapping it up what um what kind of person what kind of music do you think they'd be into who would you tell hey check out monster magnet dopes to infinity um honestly i think someone like it really goes along with the gateway album thing you know i think that someone that is kind of testing the waters um they know that they're into kind of more alternative edgy stuff but don't really know what direction to take um i think that would be a good candidate i think that um even people who you know, might be like really into sleep or I hate God or, you know, um, bands like that and, you know, went deep, but, um, you know, are a little younger, um, who may have just like completely missed monster magnet. I think they'd be worth, um, it'd be worth them checking it out, particularly if not this album, you know, maybe the early stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Those are the two that come to mind. What about you? No, I mean, Uh, that's that's where I would have started. I would have said, if you sleep is a great reference. They they've really taken off in an odd way. And I mean, I get it. I love Sleep Holy Mountain. I love Dope Smoker, and they're a great band. Um, if you like newer bands like Witch Hand, uh, I think you should check this band out. If you like anything that comes out on um, Twenty Bucks Spin or Southern Lord Records, you should definitely check this record out. Going back, if you're someone who rocks with some classic rock 70s stuff, 
if you like psychedelic stuff, if you like, even if you're just like, yo, I love Black Sabbath, but for whatever reasons, the other kind of music I listen to, it's just not in that world. Maybe check this out. Now, I could give you more specific ones if you're a Sabbath or even Zeppelin fan, but if you like Black Sabbath, but also really like mm, stuff from the mid, it's from the 90s, you know, Soundgarden, etc., and are looking for something a little more, check this record out. I think I think it I think it could really hit the groove spot for a lot of people because one, it's a great album, and two, I just think there's a couple peaks that almost anyone can go, oh, great song, and really yeah. rock with. Yeah, for sure. I think that unfortunately, I I do think that they've kind of gotten lost in the sands of time in certain ways. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know them being one of the bigger bands of this genre, I think sometimes people shy away from those bands that, you know, get bigger. Yep. Um, but I don't think, I, I really don't think there's like, you know, any reason not to check them out because of that. You know, I mean, that's like the albums are like all good for the most part, you know? So I think that uh, if, if, if you're into that lane, like whatsoever, it's worth, it's worth diving in. Yeah, I think I think that, I think Dose Infinity is a great starting point. Uh, depending on your musical leans, either Power Trip or Spine of God might be alternates. So, um, like every week, we, we we you know every time we do an episode, we hope to hear from y'all and give us your thoughts. Uh, if this was a gateway band for you, hopefully a gateway band, not not a gateway to drugs, but I bet I bet there's a lot of people who it was both. Um, please uh, please reach out and let us know what you think. Um, if, if it was the drugs, you can tell us that too. I'm interested to hear. Yeah, it'd be a cool story. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> I like good acid trip stories. Why not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I once went to a party that was stone sober, uh, but a friend of mine who who had experience with with mind altering substances said this is more surreal than any trip I've ever been on. So um, <laughs> we'll talk about that off air. So, yeah. so uh, Pete, what are our socials and, and contact info for everybody out there? So you can hit us up um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at it came from NJ pod. Um, and then you can email us at it came from NJ pod at gmail.com. Awesome. So, so I guess I'm on the spot this week, huh? It is. It's you. So I picked last week and, uh, you know, what are you thinking about? Well, I was thinking of a lot of things. Um, you know, one that came to mind is a record that I've never listened to is, uh, the, the big naughty by nature record. Oh, wow. (laughs) All right. But, 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 but wait, it gets worse. Um, I'm going to stay closer to home for us. I'm going to give us, I think this is the first true, true softball for us. Um, but I think every once in a while you need someone to just throw one right over the plate. So we're going to do misfits walk among us. Cool. Real quick. Let's do the quick pre preview. When's the last time you listened to this record? Uh, it's actually, it's been a lot. It's been a while. Um, I think it's probably been 10 years since I listened to this album oh, start wow. to finish. It's probably, probably like two years for me. I, I do love this record. Uh, I think we're gonna have a really good time with this one. So uh, thanks Pete. This was good. Cool. Great episode. Looking forward to the next one. Misfits. Let's go. See you later. <laughs>